0: To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com film FilmDaily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash film Daily for Monday, August 9th,
1: 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, this is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me out today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer and Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. It's just you and me today, Brad. Uh, it, Jacob is is out sick, uh, so we're going to have more people on this, but you know, we, we can do it together. We, we did all the the spoiler discussions for Loki together, so we we I think we I have faith in us, Brad. We okay. can okay. We will be the Suicide Squad going into battle here. Which one of us will survive? I don't know. Um, or will all of us die in this uh, in this fight? Okay, uh, so if you have not watched James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, I would tune out now because this is going to be spoiler-filled. Uh, we're, we're not going to hold any punches here. We're going to talk about everything, including the ending, including the credit scenes. So let's dive into it. Uh, first of all, I, I guess let's give our brief thoughts on James Gunn's Suicide Squad. I'll start – things off and say how much I enjoyed this movie. I would, I, I wasn't sure what to expect Brad, because to be honest with you, my experience with James Gunn has not been like a hundred percent positive. I, I, I love the guardians of the galaxy movies. They're, they're my favorite Marvel things that said, and I love Slither, but there's like uh what is this other movie? Super. I really did not like it all. It was just so crude. And so, I don't know. So I was I was knowing that he was going to D.C. and he had the R rating. I was worried that this might be too crude and it is crude, but it's just so much fun. It's a James Gunn has taken what you know, the Guardians formula of a band of damaged misfits And, you know, his uh, classic needle drops on the soundtrack. And then he adds into uh, the pre-Marvel, you know, the gore and the crude humor without getting too crude, I think. And uh, also some self-awareness into the mix, which I think makes this. uh, I... I, don't know, I, I was honestly, you know, I, I didn't really follow much of the, the the development of this film and what what people were saying leading up to the release. I knew that this was a sequel to the first Suicide Squad, and I was actually very surprised that this is a sequel that you don't even need to see that movie. Like, it, it, like, there's almost no threads. I, I mean, it does help if you've seen that movie. Like, you know some of the characters, and it, it does lead to some, I guess, shock and awe in the, the beginning when they, they get killed off. But um, it, it's really, like, its own thing. Uh, Brad, what are your brief thoughts on the Suicide Squad?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I'm on the same boat where I, I love the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. They're among my favorite in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And um, I found basically the same uh, feelings about, about super. Um, I, I enjoyed um, him producing bright burn, which was like this, the twisted, you know, childhood take on uh, Superman's uh, mythos, you know, in Kansas and going evil instead of becoming a superhero. Um, and, but I, I was confident that him venturing into the world of DC comics, even though he was going R rated, that he would bring that same, you know, heart and style um, and, and, but with a little bit of uh, a reverence for comic book movies, with the Suicide Squad, and uh, definitely improve upon the movie that we got in 2016, uh, which felt like <laughs> it, wouldn't
1: uh, hard, it wouldn't be hard, Brad. Wouldn't be hard.
2: It's true. Um, but yeah, he brings a lot of the stuff that you that you love. You know, a dark, twisted sense of humor. Uh, obviously, increased violence. Uh, a stellar soundtrack. And I just, I just loved this wacky, insane you know, <laughs> ensemble of, of characters, you know, the ones that we get to spend a lot more time with since most of them, you know, do meet their demise in very grisly ways. He gives uh, each of the characters uh heart and makes you care about them. Even the, the weird grotesque characters who seem like they're just, mean monsters he makes you makes you love them and so that you don't you know see them as as freaks which is what everybody else sees them as and why a character like amanda waller sees them as disposable um and so i I just love the care that he takes with these unsavory characters and even though a lot of them go out in you know spectacularly bloody violent ways uh he still treats these characters you know like fully fledged three-dimensional Uh, beings that are caught up in this nasty, you know, comic book world. Uh, So yeah, I just I had a lot of fun with it. It's uh, darkly funny, does just some weird, strange things, you know, as (laughs) only James Gunn can do. And it's just, it's just so funny to see just certain things on this movie, you know, from a giant starfish as the villain, you know, to this, you know, big dimwitted shark, you know, just trying to have friends and feel accepted, you know, it's just, just so many, you know, weird, cool things that you would never have expected to see in a mainstream superhero movie.
1: Yeah. You know, I think the thing, the part of this movie that I think I was most impressed about was that opening like first act where he introduces the suicide squad, uh, which by the way, this film finally earns its name. Right, like the first film didn't really earn the, like the Suicide Squad name. This one yeah. actually definitely earns it because he introduces this group of Suicide Squad members who, in a matter of minutes, all get destroyed, including you know characters we had seen in the previous movie. Uh, I honestly had not been following the trailers, so this is one of those times where I, I went in uh, as. Jeff Canata would say unsullied and I was not expecting some of these people to die so I I just love that and I love that concept I know Quentin Tarantino did it in uh what was that film Death Proof and I don't think it was quite successful in that movie like kind of felt weird because it was like half that movie was like one set of characters and then it took off here it works so well like I hate to say it James Gunn outdid Quentin Tarantino in that aspect what did you think of the that whole opening switcheroo?
2: Yeah, it's um, it's something, you know, obviously, you know, especially when it comes to the death, we've seen play out in a, you know, a comedic fashion, thanks to MacGruber, you know, and Deadpool 2. But the I like that they how James Gunn let us in, you know, with this uh, a quick, you know, introduction for people who maybe don't didn't see the first Suicide Squad, um, you know, explaining what, what they do and setting it up in a, in a similar way, you know, that the original one did. Um, you know, and, and did it in a way too where he like kind of self-referenced like repeating some things and there's like the the kind of cliche, cliche way that the team is introduced. Um, but I like how you follow this one team and then you see that there's a whole, you know, a second team that appears. And there's, there's even like a little moment in here too where like yeah, there's plenty of times we see just how ruthless Amanda Waller is and how she just does whatever she needs to do no matter how vicious it is. And uh, when we see the second team and they see, like, that explosion that's caused by the other team getting, you know, their ass handed to them, um, you know, she just brushes it off and tells Bloodsport, you know, it's just a diversion, you know. So, like, that team was never meant to actually (laughs) do anything significant, you know. It was to help this team move forward. Um, And so, so yeah, just just brutal stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, another thing that I kind of was surprised at is how Harley Quinn is kind of like away from the squad for most of the movie. She's kind of held captive. She's a little bit of a damsel in distress, but obviously, you know, in this movie and with James Gunn, uh, there's some subversion there of, you know, them trying to save her and she's already saved herself. Uh, But I I was wondering what you thought of this, because this almost, when, when I was watching this movie, I was thinking maybe James Gunn wrote this Harley Quinn subplot into the movie not knowing if margo would come back for the sequel and this would because you could easily remove this that whole thing do you know what i mean like that could that could easily be cut out of the movie and then you could add another subplot in because what are your thoughts on that
2: yeah it feels strangely disjointed from anything everything else and i was surprised uh by this like little excursion that she goes on it almost feels like You know, when you like something that would have been in like a Suicide Squad TV series where you have an episode that focuses (laughs) on. Oh, here's what Harley Quinn's up to, by the way, you know, while the other team is doing this. Um, And Gunn kind of leans into that, you know, with like the the chapters and how he breaks up the movie. But even so, it just it didn't really feel like it was necessary, like you said, and had any significant impact on the overall uh, story. And so like uh, Chris Evangelista, even in his spoiler review, talks about how it almost feels like James Gunn was like forced to put Harley Quinn in there. And I don't think that's the case because he's, you know, talked about in the press how he loves writing for Harley Quinn and wants to do, you know, a movie with Margot Robbie, you know, separately from this um, and and things like that. And that could could, you know, maybe yeah. be him, you know, his, just putting on a, a smiling face for the the press and whatnot. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's um, it's it's one of the the more glaring flaws yeah. um, in an otherwise entertaining movie that Harley Quinn just kind of, I don't want to say she feels shoehorned in, but she just feels like unnecessary yeah I, I i'm
1: going to put my bet on that that's what happened because obviously i'm, I'm not sure if people know the context of this but james gunn was going to do Guardians of the galaxy volume 3 he was fired by disney and marvel uh only to be rehired later but he got hired by warner brothers here and actually he, he took a meeting with warner brothers and they were like you can do whatever you want and he decided to do suicide squad and they basically let him do whatever he wants. And I'm guessing when he came aboard that he he wasn't sure if Margot would want to come on. So he kind of wrote the whole thing in a way that like if she decided she didn't want to be part of it, they could figure a way without it like greatly affecting the plot. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just me reading into things too much. But I, I do like how they introduce this like new bad guy that's running uh, – what country was that? Corto
2: Maltese.
1: Corto Maltese. They, they introduce this new bad guy, and then like a few minutes later, she just like kills him. <laughs> and I'm like, what? The movie's always subverting my expectations, which I really enjoyed. And you mentioned those title cards, the chapter cards. I really like those because they felt like a comic book come to life. Yeah, like yeah. So, um, let's talk about uh, polka dot uh, polka dot man, who I think might be. Actually, there's so many characters in this. I feel, feel like I, I'm trying to pick out which one is the which one do you think is the breakout character from this movie?
2: Gosh, uh, I mean, Polka Dot Man is a great one. And I feel like he, you know, especially his final moment and just yeah. his his arc, I think is probably the 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 most satisfying. Um, but I'm also a sucker for King Shark. King man. Shark, <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Those two, I think, are I, I also love uh, Weasel. But he doesn't have as, as much of a role in yeah. this. Um, so, yeah, w- what are your thoughts on Polka Dot, man? Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I love how they <laughs> they uh, portrayed how he uh, has this uh, trauma. Uh, he, he pictures everybody being his mother. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's so sad and uh, real, but also absurd and funny. And uh, I love his powers. Like, he seems like the most powerful guy in this crew
2: for sure yeah i because he can take down seems seemingly pretty much anything with his polka dot blast
1: yeah um king shark okay you said king shark also has your affection what do you what did you like about king shark in this movie
2: i mean i just love that he's this big beefy dummy and he's just (laughs) so so clueless about like his stupidity i mean he's just like you know completely it's one of those ignorance is bliss kind of things and you know i the introduction you give with him alone is you know reading a book upside down and you know he's speaking <laughs> speaking not even in complete sentences and thinking that he's smart and can read um and but i also love just just how like just of a um you know a big softy he is in a way too because once he realizes he can have friends you know, he does want to protect them. And so he's, he's this guy who, like, once he finds out that he he can have friends, he he will stand up for them and be strong for them. But then he also is just this big guy who likes to eat people. <laughs> and he's, he's always ready to eat something.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love the moment in this. And James kind of likes to do this in a lot of his films since Guardians, where it's like, I like to call it like a moment of visual poetry. Like in Guardians, it's that moment with Groot. That it just feels like uh, I, don't, I don't know how how would you describe those moments? Uh, James could likes to like have one of those each film, but in this film, it's when King Shark finds those like sea creatures in the tank, those like cute looking creatures, and he he thinks they're going to be his friends, and then they end up trying to eat him.
2: Yeah, yeah. and like it's I, I felt so sad in that moment too because he he was, he was so excited to find more dumb friends like him, and then all of a sudden they start eating him. I'm just like no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh i know you wanted to talk about rat catcher and blood sport really quickly uh what did you want to talk about uh, what did you want to say about that
2: yeah I've, they're clearly meant to be like the um even though every character does you know get their their moment of you know heart and gives you something to latch on to as characters these two really are the heart uh of the movie because uh you know Idris Elba steps up and Bloodsport is really um you know kind of a stand-in for will smith's character um Deadshot, right? That's his name. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's pretty much the same kind of thing. He's a sharpshooter, he's skilled with, with with weapons. He has a daughter that he's in a strange relationship with. It's a little bit more intense than the first Suicide Squad. Uh and but like the dynamic that is created between him and Ratcatcher 2, uh who also is, you know, the, this character who is the one who helps you uh, you know, come to care for these misfits. You know, these characters who are largely grotesque and nasty and perceived as bad guys. Uh, but she just accepts people for for who they are and shows them respect and love. And so the, the dynamic between them, you know, they they uh, she helps soften Bloodsport, and he sees her like kind of like his daughter. And she's, you know, this person who just allows you to feel empathy for bad guys. Um, and that's one thing I, that was definitely missing from, I think, the first Suicide Squad is that there was no real characterization, I think, outside of Will Smith, the, at least trying to do it with Will Smith, and a little bit with Harley Quinn, since, you know, that you we get her origin story and, like, her tragic relationship, you know, with the Joker. Um, but it's just the the emotions and the character dynamics are handled just so much more. Carefully here, and it really gives you, you know, profiles of, of characters to like to actually feel something for. No matter, you know, how bad they might seem on the surface.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say the word surface. Like in the first film, it was very surface level, and in this, James Gunn gives you some more depth to these characters. And um, w- one other moment I wanted to bring up, I think it was one of my favorite moments of the the film. What's well, a twofold moment. Number one, the Suicide Squad going into that camp and killing off all the people in the camp only to realize that they were the good guys that they just killed off. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of them, uh, Milton, helping them out, getting killed, and then them having an argument over is w- Milton was still with us? Wait, who's Milton? <laughs> like that, that whole exchange just had me in stitches. I was just, I loved it. Um, but, uh, I guess we should talk about starfish project starfish, which sounded like it was just going to be like some, you know, uh, one of those sci-fi or government names, but it was actually a gigantic starfish. Yeah. It's like a kaiju. Uh, what, what do you think of, uh, about that? I, I thought it was cool how they, they handled that and also like created like this zombie of people that like got starfished.
2: Yeah. And actually, and I, one thing I love too about this, and this just goes, you know, even further to show how James Gunn can take these characters and uh, even something like just a giant starfish from space, um, that, you know, is trying, comes to try to conquer earth. Um, you, he's also misunderstood, you know, it's, uh, the, this, this giant starfish was captured by American astronauts and was brought to earth and has been, you know, used to like conduct experiments on to be used as a, a weapon, and you know, you come to realize that he's just essentially, you know, seeking revenge and retribution for being trapped and you know, dealt with in this fashion. There's even, you know, that line that uh, that he says at the end from the from the general who was taken over by one of his small starfish that says that he, he was perfectly, you know, happy just floating in space um, <laughs> looking at looking at the stars, and then here we just bring him in. You know, and completely uproot his life, um, and make him out to be uh, a monster. And I, I also love to like just the way he wobbles around. You know, <laughs> like he—he's he, not like this, you know, monster who's like knows what he's what he's doing necessarily like in a very expert destructive way. He's kind of just lumbering and just smashing things, you know, with his starfish limbs uh, and shooting all these you know mini starfish out and just wreaking havoc. Um, and it was just yeah, really cool to see.
1: Yeah, a lot of these superhero movies end with like the world at stakes, like third act battle. And I'm not saying that this isn't world of stakes. Obviously, this country was under attack from this gigantic kaiju starfish, and it, it was a real threat. But it, I don't know, it felt smaller, and because of that, I, I enjoyed it. Um, th- what did you make of the whole subplot that we learn? That obviously, you know, uh, America captured the starfish. The American astronauts, and they were part of this whole experiment. And that the footage—if the footage would get out—it could ruin America. And uh, Peacemaker wants to protect that, while um, others want to let. What did you make of that? Like, I felt like that was—it was—it didn't really say anything. I don't know. That, that's one of my criticisms. I, I'm not sure where it was going, and I also don't think if that footage got out, if it would hurt him. <laughs> like, it, like, I don't, I think America's gone through some like big crap <laughs> uh, in the last ten years, and uh, I don't think it would really have that much damage on America. Sadly.
2: Yeah, I um, I do. I, I don't want to say that it's it feels necessarily half baked, but just it doesn't feel like it's trying to say anything significant that hasn't been said before. You know, we know that uh America has been involved in some uh seedy, you know, underground practices, things that like have been uh intended to hurt governments and using their people as a means of doing so, whether it's, you know, funding drug cartels only to, you know, put on a show and and bring them down while also destabilizing the, you know, economics and governments, you know, by way of those same drug cartels uh, or any number of, you know, political insurgencies and helping other countries overthrow, you know, corrupt leaders only to install governments that, you know, still don't help the people that the America claims to be saving. Uh, there's yeah. plenty plenty of things, you know, that, that are there. But this, this is one of those things that is, it's a surface level thing where it's like, oh yeah, of course, America's done some shitty stuff, big surprise. Um, and yeah, it doesn't really go beyond that other than being just kind of a convenient plot device i guess
1: what more should we talk about about the ending before we get into the credit scenes like is there any more to dive into here
2: well i think the one thing that's interesting that we didn't get at the end of the first suicide squad is that we actually see some of the members not only uh you know um survive but actually are freed from their prison sentences because uh they're able to blackmail amanda waller uh, and oh, yeah. not give her what she wants. And so this the the survivors get to go uh free and not have to worry about their uh their neck charges being blown up.
1: Yeah. By the way, is it I don't maybe it's that I, I have not seen the original Suicide Squad since the press screening I saw it and before it came out. But it seems like Amanda Waller was like a lot more vicious in this movie.
2: It does. And I yeah, I I know she was she was you know fairly Unsavory in the first one, but this one, it's clear she's willing to do a lot more uh, nasty things.
1: Yeah. I, what do you think the people that worked for her, like, she basically gets, like, uh, taken out by the people who work for her, and so that they, they could finish this mission of killing this starfish. Well, and there's,
2: and, and, uh, there's actually, uh, this is something that Chris Evangelista points out in his spoiler review as well, yeah. and that I was kind of perplexed by is that as vicious as she is, for some reason, she doesn't. Really, show any retaliation against her team that turned against her after Yosaro yeah, is taken care of and everything. You know, like you would think that someone like that who was willing to kill Bloodsport's daughter and like has killed members of the Suicide Squad herself and is, doesn't care about putting them in harm's way. You know, um, and only gets pissed when she loses them and they're needed for the mission. That she's just you know gives, relegates two of them to a job they don't want, which we'll get to here in a second with the credit scenes and doesn't really seem to have any of the consequences for the rest of the people who allowed, you know, that coup to happen. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, maybe it's because that they are, they're criminals. And because, you know, that is the draw, the line that she draws, like they are no longer uh, people in her mind. Do you know what I mean? And the people that she worked with, they, they did bad, like they they made some bad choices, but they, they are not the, I don't know, I, I'm, try, I'm trying to draw something into there that probably doesn't exist in the movie.
2: No, I think, I, I get what you're saying, and it makes sense to a certain extent, but I feel like someone in Amanda Waller's yeah. shoes, if that if the person that hit her across the head with, you know, a weapon, yeah, yeah. would probably be dispatched with in some way.
1: <laughs> yeah, 100%. Okay, uh, so let's talk about the credit scenes. There is the one credit scene where we, we realize that Weasel, who is that... Uh, how do you even describe it? He's like a werewolf monkey looking.
2: I mean, he's just a he's just a a weird a weasel that has the body of a, a man and the face of a, um, like it's almost like that uh, like that stuffed animal that Scott Lang gets his daughter in in Ant Man like that those traits applied to a weasel <laughs> just yeah a, a terrifying version of it
1: <laughs> and it's played by Sean Gunn the brother of James Gunn who also played who do he play in Guardians was it Rocket.
2: Yeah, he he was a stand-in for Rocket. Um, whenever they shot scenes where they needed to yeah. be interacting with him, and then he's also, uh, Craglin from the Ravagers.
1: Yeah, but I just fell in love with him in that opening scene, and I, like, uh, Ketra had like the the worst reaction to her, his death because I, I'm sure he uh, reminded her of you know our dogs and stuff like that. Uh, so I'm glad to see that he's still alive, but. It, it, I'm not quite sure he would make it off that uh the 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 place the 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 uh the country or the island or whatever that was in the beginning scene of this movie i i i am not convinced that he has it in him to survive
2: <laughs> i mean he survived this long i mean he's and he yeah. killed twenty seven kids so he know he's, he's doing something <laughs> right apparently <laughs>
1: yeah I love that no one looked up if he could swim or not so yeah <laughs> no, no one asked him, no one looked up. Okay, let's talk about the other well uh, the, the other uh credit scene which involves Peacemaker. And actually we haven't really talked about Peacemaker. This is the the character played by John Cena. He is kind of like uh I guess uh, Captain America to the extreme, like the right like a, like a right soci-
2: sociopath Captain America who like yeah. is willing to do anything no matter how violent or corrupt to, in order to keep you know liberty uh strong. <laughs>
1: Yeah, at one point he he had a quote that was like, I'm willing to kill every man and child to maintain peace. And I'm like, that is so awesome. And also
2: Um, eat an island full of dicks. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I I feel like every other character in
1: this movie does have what you're saying, like that vulnerability and relatability that we end up caring for them. I don't find myself finding that with Peacemaker. Was there a moment?
2: Um... (sighs) I think a little bit in <laughs> the confrontation with with um, with Rick Flagg where he's not necessarily entirely convinced that what he's doing is for the greater good, but he is doing it anyway. Um, and so, and I think that that's I think that's probably something that we'll explore more in the the series that's coming to to HBO Max, which is exactly what this credit scene is, is teasing.
1: I'm so curious about this, Brad, because I feel like Peacemaker is not the character. If you told me to pick out a character that I would want to see in HBO Max series about, I think he would probably be like six or seven on the list from this movie. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, okay, so why don't you tell us uh, what happens in this credit scene?
2: Uh, so we are in a hospital, um, and we see two characters from the the, the movie – uh, John Economos, who's played by Steve Agee, um, and uh, Amelia Harcourt, who's played by Jennifer Holland. And they are people who were uh, working with Amanda Waller. And they are they have been relegated to basically going to get Peacemaker, who survived, was found in the rubble in Corta Maltese after uh, Jodenheim collapsed. And he's in the hospital, and they've been tasked with keeping an eye on him, essentially, and working with him to... Uh, seemingly do whatever needs to be done to keep the world safe.
1: (laughs) So this HBO Max series is going to be that?
2: Yeah, basically. It's going to be Peacemaker in his own show. And uh, we don't necessarily have like a full plot description or anything like that. We just know what Peacemaker is supposed to be doing as a character. Uh, and that he'll be doing his, you know, "quote unquote" superhero <laughs> bit uh, uh, in the way that you know we see him carrying it out in this movie.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm curious what that what that's going to be. Oh, aside from that series that's being built up, I know last podcast I think on Friday you mentioned that James Gunn is potentially working on other things for DC. Do you think that's another Suicide Squad movie? Do you think there's another spin-off? spinoff? What, what, what do you think is in the works after seeing this movie?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would almost... The sequel is potentially questionable, but it's tough to say how the studio is going to react to what has been called the underwhelming box office performance yeah, of, yeah. of the Suicide Squad, you know, because we're talking about releasing an R-rated comic book movie in the middle of a pandemic that is getting worse again, Where the movie is also made available day and day on streaming on HBO Max, so it's not exactly indicative of how well this movie is received and whether or not a sequel, you know, is a good, uh, viable, you know, revenue stream for the future. Um, By
1: the way, you you mentioned that so the movie made I think like thirty-five million or something like that. Not even.
2: I think it was more like twenty-six point something, wasn't it? Oh
1: wow, okay, it was lower than than our uh, our initial article said.
2: Yeah, they, um, they were anticipating somewhere between uh thirty and forty million, but it ended up with twenty six point five million for its opening weekend.
1: Wow. And then an additional thirty five million overseas. So then we're at like uh seventy two million, which is very low for a big comic book movie. Even even, you know, an R rated comic book movie. Uh, how how well did the original Suicide Squad do? I don't have those numbers in it, front of it me. It made seven hundred
2: forty six point eight million worldwide. Oh, so, wow. it was, so it was was a huge hit.
1: Okay, so this is basically a big failure. Basically, <laughs> I mean, with with that huge asterisk after it. Yeah, um,
2: exactly. You know, it's it's really hard to tell. Like, time will really tell and see. You know how how it goes and, and things like that. But yeah, it's a very complicated situation, and so like it's tough to call it a disappointment but it has a lot of factors working against it you know yeah so you think uh but yeah so so this
1: number means that there won't be another sequel
2: i don't know i don't know i really don't know because i think that that warner brothers knows that this is a movie that probably would have done better if it didn't have to deal with these extenuating circumstances um then again there's a chance that the first suicide squad you know left such a bad taste in people's mouth that despite being a big box office hit that some people were just like nah i'm good um But then, you know, HBO Max, you know, that's going to be a huge draw. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear about the streaming numbers for that movie uh, sometime soon. You know, those take a little longer to come through and we'll see that a lot of people maybe watch that at home instead. I know I saw some people even among, you know, the quote unquote film Twitter circle talking about people and friends who had tickets to see Suicide Squad in theaters. But because of the rising Delta variant numbers for COVID, they decided to just watch it at home instead, you know. Yeah, so I think that, no. that happened a lot this past weekend. But so yeah, so a Suicide Squad sequel, maybe James Gunn more so seems to have been hinting at the idea of Suicide Squad spinoffs, uh, more of those being in the future. Um, you know, he's he's mentioned the idea of doing a Harley Quinn movie. Um, you know, there, there are several possibilities here with characters who you could do spinoffs about, you know, even though even the ones that died, you know, could end up giving their own spinoffs and it shows that take place before the events of the movie and whatnot.
1: yeah. I mean, the place where you leave these characters off where they're not in prison, most of these, it would be impossible to have another Suicide Squad movie with them having to be forced to reteam to be a squad, right?
2: Yes, more than likely. Um, It wouldn't be out of the question for there to be a new Suicide Squad formed and maybe somehow their paths cross with these characters. Um, Mm. You know, maybe they're both after the same thing for whatever reason um but there's i'm sure that there's a a clever way to to you know work around that obviously james gunn you know they wrote this story and they're free and i'm sure that if he was thinking about doing a sequel he already knows you know what where they would like to take those characters and what to do with them
1: yeah that's a good point uh i know you've mentioned it a couple times in this podcast but everybody should go check out Chris's spoiler review on the Suicide Squad. He says it's James Gunn's bloody, messy sequel. Ultimately has a big heart is the title. And uh, we'll link that in the show notes. Uh, Is there anything else you want to say about this movie that hasn't been said? I I think the only thing I probably forgot to say is I love how James Gunn kind of plays with time at at points in this movie where he'll have something play out and then it'll be like eight minutes earlier. And then they'll rewind from a different point of view. I, I guess almost Quentin Tarantino esque in a way. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention?
2: Um, no, not really. Yeah, I think we pretty much covered covered everything. Um, I'm definitely curious to see what the Peacemaker series is like and what James Gunn intends to do. You know, next with the in the DC Comics universe. So we're we'll waiting a little while since he has to do Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three first, but he clearly has. More ideas in store, and uh, hopefully they they move forward despite the you know seemingly disappointing uh, box office performance of the Suicide yeah. Squad.
1: You know, Jeremy on the site wrote this article. It was this quote from James Gunn talking about his original pitch to Warner Brothers for this movie, and he mentioned that most of the the movie was the way it was, but he did say that there was originally a little bit of a darker ending to the pitch and that changed. But besides that, everything was exactly the same. I'm wondering what, what do you think was darker about the ending? Do you think more people died? <laughs> like, uh, maybe there was the, uh, maybe they did get the, um, the footage televised and then everybody like in America and the world were like, huh, yeah, sounds about right.
2: Yeah, that could, I, yeah that, that could have been a more – yeah, I think, like you said, maybe when it's released that no one really cares, and so it's yeah. just a, an even more cynical approach to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I have some other links to some stuff, including some cameos. Uh, we have an article on the ending explain, the credit scene explain. I'll link all those into the show notes. Brad, thanks for joining me. Uh, if you want to, you can subscribe to this podcast in Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popcorn podcast apps. Please send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter.com. And rate right and read this podcast in Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.